Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. Uh, we have to welcome back, because it's the second Sunday in the month, Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Garden in Clombernane. Good morning, Graham. Oh, good morning, Pam. Good mo- morning, everybody out there. And I must say, I've got commiserations to those those uh, Bulldog fans this morning. Oh, I'm they tried, suffering. They tried so hard. <laughs> we sure did. <laughs> I nearly didn't have a voice at all. I was so trying to get them over the line, but never mind. It's gone for another year, but well, they, it was a very closely fought game and they did us, us proud. I mean, to get that far was great after the years of being in the doldrums. So. Yeah, well, next year, Pam. Next, next year, year, there's always next year, next year Graham. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Well, you, 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 at least they got into the finals. That's the main thing, isn't it? Really? Well, exactly, though. I think mm. now we were sort of unfortunately just making up the numbers, but yeah. you live in hope. <laughs> We also have to welcome back, uh, goodness me, I'm totally lost it, um, Karen Sutherland, because Karen, you've been overseas, so I haven't seen you for a while. I know, I know, it's been very exciting. And I've we've got to hear all at, about the trip too. I've been looking at herbs and checking out goats and, yeah, going to ma- mountainous areas in three different areas of the world. Wow. Mm. So lots to talk about this mm, morning. Mm, yeah, mm. great. Horticultural tourism. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, we also have A.B. Bishop in the studio. Good oh, morning, A.B. Good morning, everyone. Yes, I do love that idea of horticultural tourism. And, yes. uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing what you've been up to, Karen. Yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. Mm, lots of fun <coughs> things to talk about. How long have you been gone for? Uh, it was a big trip. It was two months. Fantastic. So, yeah, there was uh, lots of time to forget about ordinary life. <laughs> <laughs> and how was the garden when you got back? Uh, it wasn't too bad because I had helpers. I had little pixies in my garden. Nice. <laughs> Can I borrow them? <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have pixies. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yes, you've, you've been lucky because we've had, you know, a little bit of rain. Mm. I've um, been lucky to avoid being here in the coldest winter in Oh, yes, years. that too, that too. <laughs> I didn't miss being away. I came back and there were shoots on my um, – key. I've got a kiwi berry in a pot because I couldn't get it growing in the ground properly. Um, and um, – I came back and it was shooting and I thought, oh, wow, it's spring already. So, yeah, it just happened straight <laughs> away. So. Well, everything is just exploding now. Yes. It's just yeah. gone crazy. It's yeah. lovely. It's, yeah. really, and it's really gorgeous weather this morning. Beautiful. It's gorgeous. Mm. Mm. Graham, the roses must all be absolutely leaping out of the ground at the moment, are they? Well, they, they jumped into leaf in, <laughs> in about four days. It's just amazing. You see that, see that impact in the nursery. And when there's about four or 5,000 plants in pots, you see the actual colour. It's just like it takes over. Right. It, they're just amazing critters in, in terms of the growth. And, of course, spring is like that. Um, we've got to um, really harness down there with our um, keeping moisture in our gardens. They're forecasting another five-year drought yes. on the mm. way. Mm. Yes. So um, I, there was a forecast last week that I read that they said that we probably will get around about 40% of our still our rain in the southern parts of, of Australia. So... That could be good. It could be one of those um, slower droughts, but there'll still be more moisture about, which is good. 
Excellent. Yeah, really good. Yep. Mm. yep. Mm. And speaking yeah. of critters, it really <coughs> is uh, time to get out there and start looking for aphids and um, all those other things that start appearing mm. round about now. Actually, mine were a bit earlier this season, which I was surprised by because we did have such a cold winter. But, um, yeah, there's aphids on the peach tree and on the nectarine tree ready to be sprayed, which will happen later today. Right. Mm. So they don't know that they're going to Aphids coming to an end. We <laughs> hope they're not listening. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, actually... Talking about aphids, it's, there's some, some research has been done with using molasses and uh, it, they say it's a good idea to try and get molasses into the, into the base of the plant and it'll balance up the sugar content and the, the aphids don't like that at oh, all. Terrific. Yeah, mm. for the plant. That's interesting. So, um, and, and molasses is mm. a fairly um, reasonably cheap product that we can get hold of in Australia because of um, the decline in, in the sugarism. It's used in, oh, in other so. ways in the garden, isn't it? Isn't it used to increase micro, microbial yeah. activity in the soil? I was thinking the same thing for yes. trees, particularly yeah. with tree health. Mm. Yeah, tree so I wonder if that's what it's that. got to do with, mm-hmm. you know. With mm. It's feeding those microbes and making, when the microbes are fed, it makes more nutrition available to the plants. Right. And, and it but helps surely with Surely the that aphids would like more. <laughs> and it, sounds, it seems funny, doesn't it? But it must just mm. somehow be the right thing like mm. us eating yogurt or sauerkraut mm, or something that balances mm. us. Yeah. And yes. that must, yeah. you know, so much seems to be about microbes for people and with mm-hmm. plants and everything mm. seems to be coming back to what's happening at that really tiny level that we can't see but we have to make sure it's working properly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it's such a, a difficult thing to convince people with when, mm. we, when we run our <laughs> seminars. I say to them, look, we're talking about a subject that us mere mortals can't see but mm. the, these critters are there. Yeah. And uh, the soil microbes, they, they're saying now that we've still, still got another 60,000 soil microbes yet to be discovered. And mm. um, so that's a Crazy, fascinating, fascinating world for someone who is contemplating a you know, career out there with, with soils. And, of course, this year is the, the year of, of um, um, the world soils. Oh, didn't know that. It was de- Actually, I did declared by the United Nations. I d- yeah. didn't know what it meant, but I did hear it mm. vaguely in passing. Mm. <laughs> well, there's a tremendous concern about the loss of topsoil happening in, around the world, and it's one mm. of our biggest environmental problems. And, of course, they say that politicians can't get any mileage out of um, talking about um, soils. How can you talk about soils? It's not, not sexy. <laughs> and um, it's just one of those things that, that um, is forgotten about, and we tend to take it for granted, but... But without topsoil, of course, we just don't have good um, soil for, for production of food. That's right. I'm reading a really great book at the moment um, by the Department of Primary Industries, New South Wales, and um, it is sort of focused more towards um, agriculture, um, but it's only on soils and it gives a fantastic insight to not only um, natural soils and how they form and mm. you know where different soils form but um, it also gives a really good understanding as to how to manage our soils and it's mm-hmm. not only relevant for farmers you know it's also relevant if you you know if you're out in the bush or you know even in your home gardens just for getting a, a better mm. understanding of what to look for in the soil and mm-hmm. you know what might be there and what <coughs> might not be there and then the things that you can do to make it as healthy as possible. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, it's getting your hands on that is, you know, maybe the local library would have it, the, the DPI New South mm. Wales um, book on, on soils. It's, mm. worth, it's worth a read. Well, it, it's also an interesting thing that when you start to talk about mulches in the soil and what we do as gardeners, and I had a, a lady recently remind me, she said, but just remember, if you've got grandchildren or you've got um, neighbours that are children, they remember some of the things you do in the garden. And we have that happen so often with people with roses. They'll say, oh, I remember that red rose my grandma had Mm. in her garden. I can still smell the perfume. 
and kids remember what grandma used to do. Oh, grandma used to put straw oh, on yeah, her definitely. garden. Yeah. Oh, she always had straw on her garden or she, when she could get loosened, she'd put it on. And that's is that multiplying effect. And now, of course, with um, so many um, vegetable gardens in schools, which is absolutely fantastic, mm, it's really setting that's the part of that, the that educational yeah. process. Mm, yeah. 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 Mm. And, of course, eventually the, the mulch in the garden is what eventually ends up <laughs> into humus. And humus is what retains the moisture. Mm. And the biodynamic people have been on about that year, you know, for years. Rudolf Steiner and his, and his concepts and his on Preparation 600? Is that what it is? Preparation five, 600? Yeah, 500. 500. 500. Yeah. I knew it was healthy like 600 that. 600 might be, yeah. you know, the next, the next generation. generation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's so true. I mean, and look at all the community gardens that we've got yes. around now. And, you know, um, some organisations, uh, is it 300 acres who, you know, they're... 3,000 acres. 3,000. Well, geez, I'm getting my numbers all busy <laughs> this morning. <laughs> I'm just here to be mathematician. You know, getting out there in the community, using up vacant blocks of land, you mm-hmm. know, that might only be available job. for, mm-hmm. you know you know, six months or something, but they're saying, let's get in here, let's put some pallet gardens in, let's, you know, expose <laughs> city kids and city people to, you know, home homegrown veggies and homegrown mm. fruit and just see what it's all about, which is mm. fantastic. Mm. Well, it brings you, brings you then to um, genetically modified foods. And, of course, the recent high court case where the farmer in Western Australia mm. actually got beaten but no, the story shocking. the story wasn't about necessarily about genetically modified foods it's about what they use with them and the weedicides mm-hmm. and of course mm-hmm. we know that glyphosate now is the biggest selling chemical in the world and of course mm. um, the, the the suspicion that that we hear people talk about that come to our nursery and chemicals being used in the garden is where we can short short cut that and say look We'll grow veggies for our family in our garden and we don't have to use chemicals. Mm. We don't know what is in the chemicals in the places where we buy them from, from the supermarkets. We don't know what's happening there. It's a mystery. Mm. So it's an important thing to, to really think about the story further than the high court case. Sure, the organic farmer got defeated, but the, the, the extended story about it is actually using chemicals, especially mm. weedicides. Mm. And glyphosate kills off reason. organic matter in the soil. Mm. In, unless, in case <clears throat> listeners don't know much about, about these, um, they're, um, I, think the, I think their um, copyright thing is Roundup Ready Seeds. So they're, Roundup, mm. they're plants that are <laughs> resistant to Roundup yeah. or glyphosate. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so they can be oversprayed. And so um, what... Um, Monsanto wants people to do is buy those seeds, grow those plant, grow those crops. The farmers mm-hmm. this is, and then use Roundup extensively, and so the, the plants are the, the soils are absorbing way more Roundup than they would have if mm. they were just normally removing a bit of weed matter before farming, mm. which is what farmers were used to doing. Mm. And so this is really increasing the use of Roundup dramatically, mm. and yeah, and it's known to be a um, hormonal. Um, Disruptor. Disruptor, yeah. Yep. So mm. there's a whole lot of things people can look up about that. So, mm. Yeah, it is quite it is quite serious mm. the amount of chemicals they <coughs> try to you'll get it, you'll, in the environment. You get a huge um, impact, especially for us people who think in terms of our small garden. But if you start to get into the broad acre areas, you, and then you look and you can say, how much weedicide have they used in those paddocks? And the mm. place to see that, especially, is up through the Olympic Highway, up through the Riverina. And you'll see um, literally 
millions of acres of canola and it creates an impact because you, you've got that yellow flower. Mm. But to get it like that, there's and so the much smell. chemical being used yeah. and huge amounts of chemicals is, is, is how um, these companies make so much money. Yeah, and I mean, mm. it's one of the contributors to the bee decline, isn't it? You know, mm. I mean, mm. they've been doing more and more research, thank goodness, on, you know, all the colony collapsing and and one of the reasons is is glyphosate and, mm. you know, other herbicides. So, yeah. you know, I there's so many reasons to not I, use it. I'm being a bit vague about this, but I think it's... Um, uh, I think it's one of the genetically modified plants that has um, Bacillus thuringiensis incorporated into. I think they've spliced it into the genetic material of the plant. I think mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, um, and so that's what's affecting um, bees. Yeah, because it's a pesticide. That's and, right. Yeah, so yeah. the plants are literally becoming more insect resistant, which would be probably fine if it happened naturally, you know, over many mm. over many generations, but. Not to to do something so drastically, no insects have a chance to adapt, and so it's completely artificial, and it is quite toxic to bees. Oh mm. well, I know maybe not must not be Bacillus thuringiensis. Sorry, it must be something else, um, but it is toxic. It is potentially toxic to bees. So I'm, I'm someone that hopefully can ring up and correct me and find out and um, mm. tell me um, which um, which pesticide has been incorporated into the plant. So it's a yeah. bit of gene splicing, apparently. Mm. Yeah. So I should know. I've just vaguely forgotten at this hour of the morning. But uh, And so that's why it's affecting insects. Yeah, it's I think specifically what, just supposed to repel insects. That's so. right. And I think the bees, what's happening is the bees are um, coming into contact with whatever uh, pesticide, herbicide, whatever, and um, they lose their sense of direction. They yeah, can't go so, back to the hive. Yeah. So the hive is then, you know, because they need the worker bees, they're sending out the younger uh, drones to do the job and they're not up to it yet um, and then they can't come back and so that's how the whole colony the ends up breaking down yeah, yeah mm. because mm. Uh, they lose all their worker bees basically mm. so mm. it's yeah whole sort of cyclical thing that happens and mm. I mean it really is depressing all because one huge company wants to make a lot of money and I'm not and against the food systems. yeah I'm not against people <laughs> making money or companies making money but hello people powers for good not evil mm. yeah. you know you can get out there and um, make money and um, be doing good in the world at the same time you're mm. making money by destroying the natural environment it's not yeah. the best way yeah. to go about exactly. well, one of the greatest challenges we really have is that that we now are in a country that um, superannuation has become a, um, a, a very much an in word and that's very important but where is your superannuation money? And so many people don't know where that money is. And mm. is it going into these bigger companies? Mm. Mm. I'm, I've got a big question mark over that one. Join mm. an ethical mm. super fund. Yes, yeah. an ethical <laughs> super fund, yes. yes. And I, I did that some years ago and uh, I was advised by my money advisor who was a member of Rotary, oh, that'll be just a dud. He came back and saw me. Yeah, he came back and saw me about three years later. He said, "Oh, gee, that mob performed pretty well, didn't they, mate?" Yeah. Graham, to get back to molasses before we we totally forget about that subject. (laughs) It is Um, a good subject for listeners. For listeners, what is the dilution rate? Um, You know, how do you Mm. apply it? If if people are wanting to um, incorporate that into their soil Mm. around their plants or trees, you certainly don't throw it on raw. No. could be a bit sticky. It could be, couldn't it? Yeah, um, Stop it, the snails at least. I, th- I think you're, look- you're looking at <laughs> around worry. about uh, a 50 to 1 dilution. Right. And it's an interesting thing. Um, That's a lot. Yeah. And the interesting thing about it is that you don't need a lot of it mm. for it to work. Mm. And it really works well with soil microbes and you can add liquid seaweed to it as well. 
Right. And of course, you're back with liquid seaweed, where you've got over seventy minerals to um, in the in the li- liquid seaweed itself that actually feed the microbes. And there mm. was also now some r- research being done with using molasses to suppress weeds. Really? And, yeah, and there's been quite some successful trials carried on at uh, Horsham in the in the um, no, it's not the Wimmera, is it? But anyway, it's over in in, in the west uh, a, a, about um, providing conditions for the weeds, which is sweet, and the weeds just don't like it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's an interesting thing to keep. Um, um, keep um, uh, researching if people, you know. Who was carrying out that research? There was a re- there's a research station at Horsham mm. that's been doing some work for quite a while. One of the horticultural research stations. Yes. Oh. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, I need to get on to some of the uh, community announcements because we've got quite a lot coming up over the next uh, next month. Um, well, it is spring. It is Things spring. are really starting to happen, aren't they? Certainly are. <laughs> Okay, now the first one, our good friend uh, Millie Ross is actually um, giving a talk this coming Thursday, the 17th of September. Now, she's, she's giving the talk at Altona Library, 6.30 to 7.45. And uh, bookings, if you need to find out more, you can go via the library website or the phone number is 1300 462 542. Now, Millie is asking uh, for people, if they're coming along to the talk, to bring some seeds, cuttings or a plant to swap at the workshop, uh, learn about local gardening opportunities. And also, if you uh, do go to that library website, if you've got a photo of your own garden, if you like to uh, send in a photo of your own garden, you can go into the drawer to win uh, a copy of Millie's book. Uh, which, of course, is Millie Ross, the Thrifty Gardener. So that talk, as I say, is coming up this Thursday, 17th of September, 6.30 to 7.45 at Altona Library, and you can find out more details by going to the library website. Now, next weekend is the big Mount Macedon Garden Lovers Fair, running Saturday and Sunday, 19th and 20th of September, 10 through till 4 on both days, it's being held at Bollebeck, which is one of the uh, wonderful big old uh, gardens up there in uh, Macedon. 370 Mount Macedon Road, Macedon. Uh, entry to the fair and the garden is $10. Children are free. Uh, Bollebeck is listed on the Victorian Heritage Register and it's noted for its magnificent garden. So just a wonderful place to spend the day, um, but also a, a fantastic opportunity to meet growers and uh, select from an amazing range of plants and garden treasures. Now, there'll be no admittance to the visitors' car park until 9.30, and definitely no dogs admitted. Um, If you want more details, you can go to uh, their website, which is Mount Macedon Horticulture, all one word, .org.au. Now, uh, there's going to be 35 quality stall holders in total, Uh, There'll be specialist and artisan gardening tools. There'll be quality outdoor teak furniture. There'll be a plant creche, lots of children's activities, um, guest speakers and garden celebrities, good food, wine and coffee. And there'll be secateurs and garden tool sharpening. So if you want to bring along your secateurs and have them sharpened, um, all of that is available next weekend up at Bollebeck. Now, just a reminder to listeners that... Hancock's Daffodil Garden Festival is running 
through until the end of this month, um, through until Sunday the 28th of September. Now, this is absolutely free admittance to their farm. Uh, the farm is on the corner of Belgrave, Jembrook Road and Grantula Road, Menzies Creek. Melway's reference there is 124E11. There'll be loads and loads of different varieties of daffodils on display so that you can uh, make your own selection of bulbs that you want in your own garden after you've had a look at all the, the huge variation of colours that uh, they're managing to breed into daffodils these days. It, Pam, it is a magnificent place to go to. You've been up there, yes, Graham? I've been there. I've been there. I've been there in the last three or four years. Okay. The daffodils and what they've got as a display are fantastic. Mm. But even to go into that area this time of the year, it's really an amazing place. Okay. It's, a, it's in a world all of its own. It's very, very rainforesty, but like open as yes. well. Yes. And so you've got the colour of the daffodils too at the same time. Fantastic. Excellent. Uh, now, we have, <clears throat> we have a few different um, garden shows coming up. Now, the first one to come up um, is the Mornington Peninsula uh, Victorian Spring Garden and Lifestyle Show. Now, this is being held on September 25th to the 27th, and it's being held at the Mornington Racecourse. Now, um, there'll be all sorts of uh, guest speakers, um, lifestyle events, gardens to explore, lots of uh, wonderful um, food available. Um, I think Graham Ross is going to be one of the guest speakers there. Phil Dudman also as well. Um, but a lot happening at that uh, at that show, um, as well as the uh, landscape designs. There'll be a rare plants collectors corner. Uh, the plant village will be incorporating latest release plants and garden products. There'll be floral displays, a fresh flower market. Um, Budding bloomers area for children to entertain and inspire them. A garden photography competition, uh, a kitchen, garden and paddock to plate cooking demonstrations and as I said, lots of lectures, presentations and workshops presented from three different stages. Now, uh, tickets, prices, adults $19, a concession of $16, children under 15 will be free. Now, also uh, coming up, uh, Open Gardens Victoria are up and running. They've got a website now. Um, and their very first uh, Open Garden is happening September 26th and 27th. Now, the launch of this is going to be at Musk Cottage, which is Rick Eckersley's inspirational garden. It's at uh, 371 Musk Creek Road down at Flinders. As I mentioned, it's Saturday 26th and Sunday the 27th of September. Uh, there'll be guided tours, food, coffee, local wines, plant sales, children's activities and door prizes. Um, it'll open from 10 through till 4.30 on both days. Entry is $10. Children under 18 are free. And to find out more about what's coming up with Open Gardens Victoria and some of the gardens that are going to be opening... Uh, you can go to the website www.opengardensvictoria or one word .org.au. So that's opengardensvictoria.org.au. And as I say, that first one is September 26th and 27th. 
Also coming up on that same weekend is the Native Orchids Show and this will be held at the Mount Waverley Community Centre, 47 Miller Crescent in Mount Waverley. Of course, it's opposite the Mount Waverley Railway Station Um, and uh, we're going to be finding out a bit more about that in the next couple of weeks on the gardening show here. Uh, Now, just um, another one for the diary... Coming up, I mentioned we've got um, a few different uh, horticultural and gardening festivals. We've got a very new one. This will be the first uh, inaugural uh, happening for this one. It's um, a big horticultural and gardening festival that's going to be held on the 9th to the 11th of October at the Melbourne Showgrounds. Now, this is uh, going to be uh, a fantastic uh, gardening festivals I say it's brand new um there's been a lot of people put uh, their uh effort into getting this off the ground Graham I know you and Diana are going to be involved yes with this festival along with Stephen Ryan too uh, yes um, another famous compare from this program absolutely yes I'm putting a garden in are you yes well there you are another famous compare get together (laughs) (laughs) and 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 what is very different about this particular show is the fact that they're also making a very strong leak between link between edible plants and actually yes. cooking demonstrations. Yes. So mm-hmm. there's, uh, I know Emma Dean, who uh, won one of the Master Chef um, series recently, is going to be there with cooking demonstrations. So Mark Olive too. Mark I Olive like too, Mark yes, Olive. yes. Um, who does a lot of indigenous cooking mm. using using Australian native plants. Um, so it's going to be a really excellent. Uh, uh, show as I say, running for the three days: the Friday, the Saturday, and the Sunday, the ninth to the eleventh of October at the Melbourne Showgrounds. And um, again, we'll be talking about that much more um, over the next few weeks. A, um, a great program for people wanting to learn a lot about gardening. Oh yes, there'll be the real um, information for the real um, keen gardeners, mm. as well as people who are just sort of starting out as well, young families as well. Yes, and. To, to include cooking as well as as, as embracing mm. gardening is a fantastic way to be. Um, my mentor from way back, Robert Leet, um, he used to talk about food and say, what we have to do is grow food that is sweet for your palate. He said, it is a memorable occasion every time you eat food. And that is what happens with organically grown food. Mm-hmm. Mm, sweet for your palate. <laughs> And uh, the other personality that's uh, been that's flying across, especially for the festival, of course, is Peter Cundall. Yes, coming out of uh, semi-retirement, and he'll be there, large as life, and I'm sure presenting some very, very interesting workshops. He'll have there. his huge fan club. There. Oh yes, yes, he will have. Yes. <laughs> so tickets for that one are twenty-five dollars per person, twenty dollars concession, or for seniors um, under sixteen's free with adults. You can get family tickets for $40, which is for two adults and two children. And there's mm. three-day tickets, $30 for adults and 25 for groups and concession. And free entry for VET gold card holders. So that's a, a new one, which is excellent. Um, if you'd like more information, they also have an, a website up and running now, www.gardeningfestival.com. Dot au, but as I say, we will be mentioning more of that um, in the weeks coming up. I think it's more than time we uh, opened up our talkback lines. Uh, if you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning, 
um, do give us a call. The number is 94190155. This morning we have Graeme Sargent uh, from Silky's Rose Farm in the studio. Uh, we have A.B. Bishop, who, of course, can talk all things Australian natives. And we also have Karen Sutherland from Edible Eden Design, who can talk all things edible. So uh, we've covered <laughs> everything nearly everything, here. covered all bases. <laughs> With Pam as well. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what more could they want? <laughs> so do give us a call. As I say, that number is 94190155 to speak to the team on air. Or this morning we have Virginia on the outside line. Nine four one nine eight three double seven. I think we have our first caller online, and we have uh, Val from Carnegie. You there, Val? Hello. Hello, Robert. Oh, Robert. Robert from Phillip Island. Robert. Oh, good morning. <laughs> How are you all? We're well. Oh, great. Look, can I give a quick report? I went to the Daffodil Show at Lee and Gather. Oh yes. Uh, magnificent. Will uh, Asperner was there with all his uh, flowers. Right. And uh, I got Will a nice cup of coffee, so that got him fired up. Oh, good. <laughs> and then uh, the lovely Thelma's listening in. Now, she's a champion coffee and tea maker. And right. And she busy? She says she listens to the program every week. Okay. So we send uh, Thelma a, uh, a, a real compliment. She did a great job. Excellent. My word, they take it very serious, some of the growers. <laughs> oh, yes. yes. And uh, my granddaughter, Lizzie, she's 11. She won... A championship in her division, so she was quite thrilled. Wow! But some of the colours, uh, as Graham was saying, are just extraordinary. Yes. And and the breeding that they're doing. Mm. Uh, I saw. I got one in the uh, garden, Graham. You were mentioning once about they're trying to get red petals. Yes. I, I've got one here, just about there. Really? Yes. Yeah. I don't know whether the bees. I don't know whether the bees did it. Whether yes. someone gave me a seedling or yes. whether it'll conk out. Sometimes right. yes. rare colours, the second or third year, they, yes. they don't do any good. Right. So they don't hold their colour. Yes. Can, can, I, can I ask you, was Fred Silcock there at the show? Well, yes. He yes. was? A, look, I'd heard about him for mm-hmm. 40 years. Yes. And that's the first time I'd met him. Yes, yes he was, actually. And he, he's an actual, a, a real doyen in the daffodil breeding world. Oh, isn't he? What? And I can remember going to Lee and Gather about four years ago where they had the World Daffodil Conference. Yeah. And the breeders throughout the world, all around the world, sent their bulbs four years before the show to have them grown on. Yes. And I thought, I'll go down to Lee and Gather and just see how Fred gets on. Because Fred comes from Macedon. Yes. And quite frankly... Fred cleaned them all up. Oh, yes. He did. He oh, won yes. just about all the major awards. Oh, He's yes. unbelievable, Fred. Very humble man. Yes, yes. Yeah, but, oh, yes, they <laughs> were there with their... Oh, the, I came home cap in hand, of course, after seeing their flowers, but that's <laughs> that's the way life is. But and did, a, did Fred have any, any uh, close to red daffodils there? Uh, getting on to it, yes. uh, they're, they're finding it hard. Yes. There was one gentleman got a green... Yes. From that one they call Vita Floris, apparently, but it, it died out. Yes. So they're, 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 But Fred said it, it could be done, yes. but it's going to take a lot of hard work. Right. The colour gene's there to do it. Yes. But it was a great day, and they're, they're very serious, and uh, Will had some lovely colours. And then one of the, the ladies sent me down with a pack of sandwiches and another cup of coffee for Will. So <laughs> Will, Will was well... Will was happy. Oh, well, yes, Will was very happy. <laughs> Uh, it was a great day. Um, now, look, could I just mention? Um, I, do you, I grow carnations? My wife loves carnations. I find they do better in a, gar- a bed by themselves. I had a lovely yellow 
that had a scent and I lost it. Do, do you know where you can get carnations that have got a scent to them? I, I've got some here, some lovely ones, but I find it a bit hard to get a yellow. Right. It might pay you to see if you can get in touch with um, Calgene Cal Laboratories. Right. They were the people who were doing a lot of research on breeding the blue carnation and the blue rose. I've got it, yeah. yeah. So if, if you're able to look up Calgene, yeah. they may certainly have some clues on where you could get a carnation like you're talking about. Yeah, do you find they like to bed by themselves, carnations? And I don't know. I've never grown them, Never mate. grown them. And I find they like pots too. They like warmth. So yes. I'll give it. But, uh, no, I've had a good week. I haven't been out with the ferret, but I had rabbit for tea Wednesday night. Right. And I'll be out next week, uh, probably next Wednesday, chasing rabbits. The ferret's ready to go. Yep. Yes. And I've got a couple of lo- a lovely old lady, uh, elderly lady from... Uh, from Lee and Gatha said she would love a rabbit. She likes curried rabbits, so I've got to drop her in a rabbit. Okay. I've got one rabbit left in the freezer. I'm taking him to church after the show, and a lovely old gentleman there is looking forward to having a rabbit pie through the week. Excellent. But, but everything's going well, thank you. Oh, good on you, Robert. And, and goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Thank goodness I was catching those little furry things. <laughs> well, it's interesting, isn't it? If you want to destroy her in your garden, just watch for the rabbits, and they are so shifty. <laughs> and and the real thing with rabbits is in the wintertime, they will attack the bark on trees and you don't know it's happening. Not yeah. hairs? You don't know yeah. it's hairs? Yeah, oh, hairs, they're rotters hairs are too. Really bad for bark. Yes, mm. and they can move real fast. All yes, you need is a good stag hound to get hairs, something that can really move fast. Mm. Yeah, but it's, a, it's a shame. I, I looked into getting ferrets <clears> because I thought that's a perfect, you know, sustainable way of managing <clears> rabbits. <throat> but they're, they're only really best in paddock situations, you know, <clears throat> agricult- you know oh, agricultural areas. Okay. I'm yeah. in the middle of the bush, you know, there's <clears throat> burrows going here, there and everywhere and because you, you have to net all the burrows and then oh. send the ferret down <clears throat> one particular one and it's impossible to know where they all are and there's trees everywhere. So, yeah, ferrets is not for me, unfortunately. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. They've never become feral. Feral in Australia, ferrets. So they they just can't survive in our environment, hey? Mm. Anyway, what we should do is go to Val now, who's been hanging on. Good morning, Val. Hi. Hi, everyone. Um, Well, I'm a keen supporter of your program in every aspect, but I've got two questions. Yep. Um, A Leculia. I put it in about eight weeks ago at nice standard. But it's not doing anything. In fact, so uh, my question is, is it deciduous? Mm. And when it's should it start really. moving? I can't see any movement at all. Uh, so that's one question. And the second one is dolomite. I heard it, um, you know, people... Do, and I'm wondering, <laughs> is, what is it the same as garden lime or... No, do dolomite, dolomite has um, calcium in it as well as magnesium. Okay. Okay. So it's different to garden lime. Yes, yes. Okay. And in most cases, it's probably best to put on your garden because that magnesium is important with your, with your plants. So when do you use the garden lime? You could use it now. Okay. But yes. it's different to dolomite. Yeah, no, dolomite's different to straight lime. Right. Dolomite has the lime in it. Plus yes. the magnesium. Right. Okay. Okay. With, um, with your leculia, <laughs> has it lost all its leaves, Val? Pretty much. That's not good. They're not oh. deciduous. 
Mm. Well, I don't know any Lucilias that are. I'm, I'm assuming it's the pink one that you've bought, the pink flowered yeah. one. Yeah. Um, it was from the nursery. No, apparently they are quite susceptible to frost. Oh. So that, that oh. could be the okay. issue. So mm. it might be a case of yeah. um, applying a dose of um, liquids, um, you know, Seaweed, seaweed fertiliser and, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, in the next few weeks it'll, it'll spark back up again. Oh. I'll be trying liquid seaweed. Of course, you mix it with water. Yeah. And I'll be using that once a week. Once a week. If you use the organic right. liquid seaweed. Okay, right. because it, it usually doesn't have anything in that tends to force things with soft growth. Right. And with roses, the liquid seaweed will give you an extra five, uh, five degrees frost tolerance because it makes the skin on the yes. leaf and the yes. plant thicker. That's how, yes. it, how it oh, works. Oh, I love my roses. I have to say I'm vision impaired, but I still do my garden. I love my garden, and my roses are magnificent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Good. Okay, so Thank try some liquid seaweed on your on on your laculia. Thank you. I hope I hope it's not it's not rest it's not dead it's just resting. Yes. Okay. <laughs> bye. Bye bye. You are listening to the Three CR Gardening Show. Uh, we're running through until nine fifteen, our usual time slot for the morning. Uh, in the studio this morning, we have A B Bishop. We have uh, Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm in Clonbernane, and we also have uh, Karen Sutherland from Edible Eden Design. If you'd like to give us a call, the number is 94190155 to speak to the team on air, or if you'd like to have a chat to Virginia on the outside line, 94198377. We're going to go to David in Ashwood. Good morning, David. Good morning. How, How can, can we, we help? help? Um, I've got a couple of big lemon-scented gums. They're probably... Uh, 45 years old or something like that um, and for the 15 or so years that we've lived here they've been pretty healthy up until last couple of years and now they've been progressively losing their leaves until they've probably only got uh, I don't know 10% of what they originally would have had in, in other words hardly any leaves I think probably it's a heck of a lot of ringtail possums but I thought it might also be something to do with um, nutrients and water and whatever. So just recently um, I've sprinkled a bucket of uh, native fertiliser around them and watered in some nitrogen-giving water-in fertiliser stuff and loosened up the ground and watered it a fair bit. And I've only done that in the last fortnight, so I haven't really had a chance to see whether it's taken had much effect. Um, I just wondered if you had any other comments. Oh, just as a matter of the possum attack, um, we also got locust trees and they've just about stripped the locust trees bare of all leaves as well. So that's how strong the possum attack is. Yes. (laughs) David, it definitely could be uh, possums, but I I imagine that possums would be one of a few things that would be going on with the trees. Um, you know, you say you know you fed it and watered in the last couple of weeks. I mean, a tree that's fifteen year old and is losing its leaves, like um, the fact that it's sick, it would have been getting sick over quite a long period of time. Um, you know, and then 
when the tree's health declines, then the pests can move. And, you know, there has been um, a um, eucalypt uh, caterpillar that's been attacking lots of trees around Melbourne. Um, so that probably has had something to do with it as well. It's probably a combination of factors. Um, how tall are your trees? Oh, they must be pretty 50, tall if they're 15 40, years old. 40 feet or something. You know, they're pretty big. The yeah. trunk diameter is, you know, two-foot diameter at the bottom or something like that. Yeah. Um, is there any way, can you um, put up a, a possum guard on the tree? You know, those, uh, There's too much interaction with there? all the other trees around. The other thing that's interesting, there's um, other gum trees, you know, like stringy, barky sort of gum trees that are adjacent to and the possums can equally move through them and flowering gums and numerous other gum trees. They're all got tonnes of leaves on and are pretty healthy. It seems to just be uniquely the two big lemon-scented gums that have... Um, that have been yeah, affected. Um, yeah, well, what can happen is when, um, you know, if they started losing their leaves for various other reasons, then they put on new growth, and, of course, it's that soft new growth that the possums like. Yep. So that, that's when they'd be, you know, preferring those trees over the other ukes in the area. Um, it's it's going to be a tricky situation. The best you can do is get, get those trees as healthy as possible, you know, and as Graham mentioning, was mentioning before, the liquid seaweed, um, applying that to the base, you know, you might want to do it for the next six months. Mm. You know, molasses, every, actually. Yeah, the molasses. Yeah, just try and get does, the yeah. health back into the tree as much as possible yep. and then hopefully it'll be able to bounce back and, um, yeah, and... Um, it's, you're not going to be able to stop the possums, of course, but if you can build up the health and prevent other pests and disease moving in, then you give them a better chance, I reckon. Yep. Now, um, is urea a good thing to put around or not? No. 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 Oh, no. Right. no I, I really avoid as much nitrogen as possible. Right. Um, but if, you use, if you're able to use some liquid seaweed and if you're able to add um, perhaps a, a bit of molasses to that... now. Um, You'll get molasses probably at um, any of the stock feed stores. Yep. It's used extensively in the racing industry as well for racehorses. Yep. And if you if you make up some liquid seaweed and if you can make up a, a, a tea, all right, you get a container, yep. say, well, in the old language, 44-gallon drum, yep. and get a bag of um, some um, grasses and, and uh, even some herbs if you can. Put it in the bag and immerse it in, in the tea yep. and take that liquid and add it with your liquid seaweed and your molasses and water that around the base of the tree. And what you're working with is the soil microbes and the soil microbes, as you can understand, they're a moving target Yep. because one lot eat another lot and then another lot eat another lot and this whole process is going on. So if you're able to um, keep that around the, the base of the tree and say apply that that liquid to them over a, every fortnight. You've you've got a really good chance of rejuvenating the tree. Right, but it's okay. a long term project. <clears throat> yes, you know it's a six yep. month to a year project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think mm. I should have started it two years ago when they first started getting a bit sickly. But mm. now they look as though they're in danger mm. of just about dying. Really, yeah. David, because you've you've put um, you know as you say uh, a fertilizer plus a high nitrogen on there just in the last few weeks. I'd be inclined to not put anything else apart from your liquid seaweed for a yeah. while. Just let them let that settle in. Yep. Um, and mm. keep the water up keep to the them if it's water, yes, yeah. and yep. just see what happens. But I wouldn't I wouldn't overdo it anymore. Okay. At so, the moment. Yeah, liquid seaweed. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm going away for a month and or so, and um, 
Yeah, so I'll give him a... Give him a good water, water, good deep soaking yep. before you go and as soon as you return. But I wouldn't be putting anything else on apart from the liquid seaweed until you get back and okay. see what's happened. You also might, because if it's lost so many, le- <coughs> excuse me, if they've lost so many leaves, they may have a lot of difficulty um, sending sap out to those extremities. And so yep. it might be really worth getting a tree surgeon in to cut them back. Not a tree lopper, I would stress. So it needs to be someone who's a mm. tree surgeon or an arborist to cut the tree back, to give it a chance to regrow again in, into a decent shape. And they yep. can also let you know how far back the dieback's gone. Okay. Good. Okay? Yep. All Thanks right, good much. luck with that. Okay. Bye. Bye. Now, I think we have uh, a special announcement. St Kilda Indigenous Nursery Cooperative are celebrating their 20th anniversary with a community open day and spring plant sale. An extensive range of native plants, bush food and wildflowers will be available, plus activities, talks and kids' sensory bushcraft corner on the Saturday. Head down to 525 Williamstown Road, Port Melbourne on Friday the 18th and Saturday the 19th of September from 10am to 4pm. St Kilda Indigenous Nursery Cooperative is a 3CR supporter. Okay, um, before we go to our next caller, I do want to mention a little book that came my way. This has only just been released to the public. Um, it's called Plants from Pips. Now, um, it's been uh, published by Alan and Unwin, um, and the idea of the book is that it's uh, meant to be used in conjunction with gardening with children. Uh, so it's been um, written in a very simple form but giving lots and lots of information, presuming that children or any adults that are using the book basically haven't ever gardened or may not even have a garden. And it's how to uh, particularly get children interested in in actually getting something to grow. Now, the idea is that uh, what you're doing is taking your kitchen, normal kitchen scraps and having a go with uh, pips. They can be all sorts of different uh, pips um, and having a go at growing them, whether it's on a kitchen windowsill or whether it's on a pot somewhere on a balcony. Uh, but the book does, as I say, it's, it's a great introduction to children um, to general gardening because it starts by going through things like um, like how plants grow, what are pips, what's inside a pip, how plants spread their pips, how pips grow, growing from pips. Then uh, it goes on to how to grow them successfully, uh, gathering the pips, what plants need to grow well, where to grow the pips, basic equipment, um, what to grow pips in indoors, what to grow them in outdoors, uh, sowing the pips, watering, feeding, then it gives very uh, more specialised information about different individual pips. So it goes through things like growing avocado, um, melon and watermelon, citrus, passion fruit, lychee, and so it goes on, going through lots and lots of different pips that you can have a bit of fun with, uh, play around with. And then finally, how to look after plants as they grow. Again, a lot of this is very basic information uh, which uh, hopefully will inspire people to not just grow pips but um, if they're trying to plant seeds of other sorts. So it goes into repotting, planting out, 
um, keeping plants to size, supporting tall plants and climbers, pest diseases, problems, and taking cuttings. So it's for a little book, um, it's got a lot of information in there. Uh, my only qualification, of course, and I think you'd probably share this with me, Karen, because I know you've you've probably had a go at growing uh, avocados from... Yeah, love, yeah, yes. love growing avocados. Didn't everyone do that as a kid? <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what I was thinking. It's such exactly. a fun thing to do. It is a fun thing to do, uh, particularly, as I say, to get to get children involved with seeing how things actually grow. And I love the idea that they actually tell children what's actually inside a pip. And there's, mm. there's, uh, mm. there's um, a lot of illustrations here, very simple illustrations to, uh, to support uh, the ideas of it. It's very pretty. Um, my only qualification, mm. of course, is that um, the book basically is dealing with pips. And we all know that pips don't necessarily grow true no. Uh, True to, to the parent. Type, yeah, can't right, tell yeah. you how many people, as we all would have. Exactly. People know that avocado probably won't fruit. Or look, it might, but it's mm. uh, you know. Exactly. So, so that's the one Toss qualification. <laughs> I mean, if you if you're going to grow a pip from a tree, basically a fruiting tree, mm. it may definitely may not grow true to type. We don't know if it's going to fruit successfully. Mm. On the other hand, you might get one of the most fantastic wildly fruiting successful. trees and be wildly successful. One of the most annoying stories I've ever been told is that at Food Swap someone said, oh, I just threw an avocado. I used to just throw my compost out my kitchen window because you had a big area out there. And one day, you know, I threw an avocado, I threw some avocados out there and one just grew into this massive tree that fruited every year. And I said, I really don't want to hear that story. <laughs> exactly. But anyway, no um, if, if you're interested in having a look at this book, as I say, it has been released now into bookshops. Um, it's published by Alan and Unwin. Um, the title is Plants from Pips. It's written by Holly Farrell. And um, recommended retail price is nineteen ninety nine. It's a it's, sweet looking book, isn't it? Yes. Looks like it's printed on recycled paper, perhaps. Yes, or maybe, yes. Yeah. It, and, and you know, it's a hardback. Um, it's a good size, so a, a size that a child can. That's what I thought was lovely. The size of it. Yes. Mm. So I, I'd say I'd say um, you know children from say round round age ten would actually mm, get a lot out of the I was actually thinking, gee, my 11-year-old niece might like a book like that for Christmas. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, no no, sim- no matter how simple a book is, you can always pick up tips, can't you? Yeah. Right. Oh, you know, exactly. Just, yeah. And and yeah. lots of diagrams, uh, you know, for instance, anatomy of a seed, what's inside a seed, and that's exactly what kids want to know. Yeah. Mm, um, mm, you know, mm. so you can you can have a bit of fun with this book if you, you know, if, if you're a grandparent and you've, you've got grandchildren coming, you know, for the next holidays, um something of interest that you might have a bit of fun with. Absolutely. It doesn't involve a screen. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Can you download it onto your Kindle? Exactly. (laughs) Okay, let's go to our next uh, caller. We're going to go to Jill in East Brighton. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, panel. How are you all? We're well. Good, good. Look, I I was just ringing up. I was feeling so sorry for the poor chap with the lemon-scented gums. Mm. Right. And I don't have a miracle cure, but I I had the same problem with my lemon-scented gum. It just sat there and didn't grow for 10 years. And I couldn't see any sign of possums in it. You know, I looked on the trunk for claw marks and, you know, all of that. And then one day when it was just at dawn... The sun was the right angle. I could see all these scratches, and I thought, okay. And so I put perspex around it, and the tree just absolutely went ballistic.
stick in the next you know couple of years i think it doubled in size right and i just think excluding the possums is the only thing that really works and perhaps he, he might just have to, i know he said he had lots of other and and there's no doubt lemon scented is one of the ones that possums can eat happily mm. <clears throat> and i know he said he had other trees nearby but i really think if he wants to save them, he's just going to have to bite the bullet and get an arborist in to uh, mm. to trim either the lemon-scented or the other trees so that the possums can't... And then, and then exclude them. And then, yes, yeah, yes, and put, sort of, put some perspex on the yeah. trunk. Yes, excluding access is really the only way to yeah. go with possums, yes. isn't it? Yes, I wish I could come up with something a bit better, but, I thought, yeah. well, yes, it, it, it's you know probably worth it if he's got two beautiful 45-year-old trees, it's, mm. you know worth spending the money and, oh, absolutely. and hopefully uh, an arborist can do it without you know making it look too bad or undermining the soundness of our, any of the other trees yes yes yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> thanks for your thoughts no thank you bye, bye. bye jill all right we have our good friend ken from sunshine online good morning good ken. morning i have got some fantastic oh things. good 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 the community's one yes and um it, uh, they've said you do the park yourself, and we said we will. Right. And we said, but we expect you to put some um, benches down so people can sit on. Mm-hmm. So, excitingly, we will be getting back to you and letting you know exactly what we're doing. We're having a meeting on Tuesday night, right? And to work out everything, and we'll get back to the gardening program and let you know what you can do to help us. If well, congratulations to your very hard-working committee, Ken, because because it just shows people power can win. Oh, look at all it can. And when your fires are blue, look, always look outside the square. <laughs> Never look inside the square because you don't win. If you yep. look outside the square, you're a bit loony, and then your name's Mooney. <laughs> <laughs> no, the committee and the people around all stuck together, and they always have. We've been a very, very... It's been a, an excellent area to live in because nobody's trying to outdo each other. Wonderful. We're all the same. We're all just ordinary working class people. Yes. And it's fantastic. That's brilliant. And I hope everyone in your community is going to utilise that park and really appreciate it. I'm sure they will. So we'll be getting back to you. And thanks very, very much for all your support and everybody. Oh, pleasure, Ken. I'm just delighted at the outcome. It's wonderful. Thank you very much, everybody. Okay, bye-bye. We'll bye. Back to you. Bye. Bye. Right, next we're going to Hugh, who's in the Yarra Valley. Good morning, Hugh. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, panel. I wish you all a lovely day. I think it is definitely going to be a lovely day. Yes. Look pretty good when I was coming in. Yes. Dr. Graham. Yes, you. You were talking about molasses this morning. Yes. Congratulations, you were the first one ever I hear on a garden program who talks about molasses. It's only because it was a sticky situation. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a little bit more... Actually, it is quite a, a quite a difficult subject for me because in the year after World War II, my mother sent me to a sugar refinery and says, if you go to that sugar refinery and here's a Billy can come back with molasses because molasses is the sugar byproduct in the sugar production byproduct. And I had to travel one and a half day to the sugar refinery and it was very dangerous. It was on the right on the border of the Iron Curtain in those days. And anyway, I couldn't get come. I came back after three days and I didn't have my Billy can full of molasses. And next thing that happened is um, 
more and more people went to that sugar refinery, came back, and some of them got blind, and it was blamed onto the molasses. And uh, there is a difference between molasses for stock and molasses for human beings and so on and so forth. But molasses in, within my framework, if you take, uh, say, cymbidiums out of a flask, you put them in, um, in sphagnum moss, and the only way you can fertilize something in sphagnum moss, such as these things coming out of uh, a flask, you know, out of agar, uh, is, is molasses, and you've got to make it weaker than a weak tea. But that's not what I'm ringing up for. I just wanted to con give congratulations to 3CR talking about molasses. But uh, what I'm ringing up for is I'm still struggling with my rowdies. Now, there is this fantastic female, the wife of Napoleon, the good old, good-looking Josephine. And uh, she, whilst her husband was going for bang-bangs, here, there, and everywhere in continental Europe, she was trading with the British for roses. And in this fantastic garden there in Paris, I've been in Paris several times, but I never ever got to this garden there of Josephine. It, but, it's, it's Virginia here, is, Hugh. Is, she was the first to actually grow river red gum outside Australia, Josephine. Yeah, she look, was an amazing gardener. She was fantastic. Um, and she had a fantastic way to 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 um, um, to tame Napoleon. She was actually very very old. She was more interesting and as a gardener than yeah, as a wife. I think. Yes, she was a lot older than Napoleon, and she was plump and all the rest of it. But she had her tricks. She oiled her body and then put sea sweets over it, and that made the sea sweets stick to her body. Anyway, I want to talk about roses. And in there, now, Graham, have I got it right? An arbor is when you put, for example, build a concoction out of timber, say, three foot, three meters high, say, four-sided, say, two feet at the bottom, and then, say, only one foot at the top. Am I correct? That's called arbor, isn't it? An arbor, yes. Yes. Now, I have seen pictures of a person who went to Josephine's garden, and he showed me how the roses from six inches above ground were going all the three meters up. Yes. And were full of roses, mm-hmm. all kinds of roses. Yes. And I said to him, to this person, how come they do this? Because my roses, my climbers, the first one, two meters, they just want to be only woody, mm-hmm. and then the flowers at the SEC wires. Yes. And he and I said, how do they do it? Do they use pillow roses? Do they use climber roses? And these terms like pillow roses and so on, they they really confuse me. Mm-hmm. And then he, this person said, oh, he says. This is a four-sided arbor. On each side of the arbor, they put a rose. And then do they, they do that? Do they do that, Graham? By, by actually the, having them. And then they wind the roses around. Yes. And now this whole concoction of pillow roses. Yes. 
and climbing roses, when is something a pillar rose and when is it a climbing rose? When can I get a rose to flower from above ground level, not just two, three meters high up? You, you'd need to pick on varieties that will do that, Hugh. Yeah, no and good. What you, why do what you think you're, I'm ringing up for? You tell me. <laughs> okay. Um, so you'd need to stick to what we would generally term ramblers. Ramblers, yes. yes. I'm writing it down. But the, the art is in the way they're trimmed in the wintertime. In wintertime? Yes. What you have to do is keep trimming right down the, the, the plant almost to the ground and just trim off the um, new growths back around about, um, in the old language, around about three inches from the main mains, um, canes. Right, so if I plant, so I built um, this, this arbor three meters high. Yes. And I go and buy ramblers. Should yes. I get any still these days? It's a bit late. Yes. Um, now, um, the... Cane goes on each side of the yes. four sides. Yes. And then you start immediately winding. Yes. And then when autumn, winter comes, yes. everything of that cane cut back to three inches. Yes. Off the main cane. Yes, three okay. off the main yes. cane. Now the but keep, the, keep the canes, and from each plant you really need to keep at least three or four canes. Yes, okay. and then um, how, if, if I put now the rambler along the four-sided um, arbor, mm. how, how close do I put the cane? The canes? You know, you wind them around. Yes, well, if you want to get a real good mass effect, you can have them as close as you like. Say five inches, six inches? Yes, yes. And when the, when the rose is around about four years old and older, you have to take one of those old canes out because you must encourage the new canes to grow and that's what you always get your best flowers on. Uh, okay. So, now, in the, say after three years, yeah. how high would that rambler then have gone? Oh, well, it, depends, it would depend on the variety, but... But if you if you really look after the rose, you in three years you'll probably get about um, oh, four meters. Four meters, yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay. So you'll cover the arbor, really, won't you? Mm. If, yeah. if you've got one on every mm. on every leg. Yeah. Mm. Well, well, doctor, doctor, uh, doctor Graham, you will hear more often my questions <laughs> on this. Um, and to encourage those new growth slower down, I sound like a broken record, use liquid seaweed in a watering can and put, a, put it over that bottom part. And that will, brings on the new growth and brings on the flowers. And seaweed. Yes, liquid say? seaweed. Liquid seaweed. Yes. Yes, I, I got that. I got that. Okay. Um, okay well, I'm going now to construct my, my, my arbors. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good luck, you. Thanks very much, and congratulations. You heard it on 3CR. Molasses is good. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, bye, Thank you. Bye. We haven't, um, we haven't, Karen, even had time to think about your trip, but let's have a chat about, about what you did while you were away. Well, I visited um, Switzerland and saw lots of wildflowers and mountains in that country. Uh, that was for a family wedding, so that was a lot of family time. But I did manage to do a lot of wildflower 
looking at and right. taking many photos which haven't been <clears throat> haven't been all sorted yet and identified. So I don't a hundred percent know what all the things I saw are <laughs> were. Fair um, enough. But then the most exciting part was after some discussions with Stephen Ryan and after growing some um, plants that my neighbour. Um, who comes from Crete grows has given me cuttings from which some of them possibly aren't usually grown in Australia come to Australia by mysterious means so I wanted to go and see some of those in their native habitat so I went to Crete and or we went we went to Crete and we um, looked at Thymus capitata which by luck for me was flowering beautifully covered in these purple flowers so I was able to understand why my neighbour prunes a lot of her plants, such as savoury of Crete as well, um, and and she also grows dittany of Crete. I understand understood why they're so uh, beautifully, naturally beautifully pruned by the goats, the the wild goats, of course, and also the not just the wild goats, but the sheep and goats that people keep in, especially in the southern part of Crete where it's a lot quieter. We couldn't work out how the flocks of sheep and goats get back home or, you know, they were out roaming all day, eating, nibbling on wild. Uh, they're the ones that are – they're the gardeners of the yes, mountains, yes. basically. Mm. So they're trimming and nibbling constantly all these, uh, you know, the chicory and the, the wild chicory, um, the thyme, the, all sorts of other plants. They're just keeping them nibbled all the time. So they're these beautiful round shapes. They're amazing. And I came back and looked at some of my plants that are all sort of leggy and long <laughs> and I thought, right, I need, need a goat. Need a goat, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot more pruning required. Um, understood some things. So I thought, right, okay. And I, and we asked some people where we were staying. Well, how you know how how do they come back? And they said, oh, we we feed them. So they're out nibbling wild plants all day. But whatever tasty things the the um, sheep and goat farmers are feeding them, they come back every night. They st- and then they're locked up at night. And at seven o'clock in the morning, as one uh, one young guy was telling us, so I feed them and then I let them out, and they they go wandering all over the roads. And for anyone who's ever driven around that area, you do have to drive with some caution because you come flying around some mountain pass, and and suddenly there's this there's a guy, well, <laughs> oh, not, not so much one, there's sort of a whole flock oh, of them it's lying like the around Lake the Lake District place in and, England, isn't it? Here's always sheep all over the road there. Yeah, so I yeah I wasn't used to that. So uh, yeah, we had to drive with a lot more caution with the um, goat gardeners and sheep gardeners. Yes. So and, and yeah, then they come back at night for their next feed. So you yeah, really enjoyed Crete, and um, and of course that horticultural tourism when you're seeing plants in their natural habitat, and not just that, even seeing plants in people's gardens. So I saw the beautiful poet's jasmine, Jasminium officinale. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And and so that when you're walking around the villages at night, the scent is just oh, right beautiful. through, absolutely gorgeous. Mm. And it's a plant that you don't see grown much in Melbourne, and I've certainly had a bit of trouble trying to find it as yet. But if I can't find it, I'll be going just to some of the local um, Greek neighbours. And that, they're the ones that seem to have it in their gardens when you're driving through the northern suburbs of Melbourne. And, um, yeah, it's quite different to the polyanthemum, which is really ratty looking. You know, I, I find often quite a beautiful scent, but it gets very, um, you know, it gets very thick and in its old wood and carries a lot of dust and insects and that sort of thing. And this other one's a lot cleaner to grow, but it's also an incredibly exquisite scent. And so, yeah, the whole, um, um, the whole aromatherapy of Crete or the natural aromatherapy, you're walking through all the gorges and with this hot air, you're trying to walk before the absolute heat of the day, but the hot air is still bringing out all the scent of the native pine trees and the native sage and the thyme. And so that was part of the experience was, mm. was just the smell of all these plants yes. and, and the jasmine at night. So Beautiful. you're just learning or, you know, just seeing. And so you're constantly learning 
oh, these plants go together, these plants are going to survive in really dry climates. And, yeah, so it's, it's very instructive, of course, as gardeners know. So it's great to travel and look around you and see what's growing mm. and, what's not, and what's not growing as well. Excellent. So, yeah, that was interesting. Yes. And then a bit of a trip to Cuba as well. So, uh, yeah, yeah um, Crete... Switzerland, Crete and Canada, so a lot of so snow on mountains and lots of not so many goats in Canada. They could probably do with a few goats. <laughs> uh, lots of goats in uh, Switzerland as well, of course, and cows, lots of bells and things. Uh, but, yeah, lovely to see all those mountains. And, yeah, then across to Crete where we didn't see so many mountains. We spent a bit too much time in the, in the city and by the sea as well. But, um, yeah, very interesting, very, very interesting in Cuba. So Fantastic. <laughs> mm, you certainly trip. got a range of cultures. Yes, yeah, we really <laughs> did. It was one of those, well, I've tried to get away for years, so I've, I've got make this the hit most list. Of it. Yeah, yes, a make the most list. Of it. So it was, they weren't connected in any other way. They were all the countries starting with C, and the only one I missed out – that I really wanted to see, you know, Cuba, um, Crete, Canada, but I missed out on uh, Croatia, but next time. Next time. <laughs> and yes. what, was in Cuba that, what was in Cuba that you wanted to see specifically? Uh, really just wanted to get there and have a bit of a look before the before um, the Americans moved in in great masses, which appeared to be a bit of a theme of the trip. I, I um, didn't do my research and thought, oh, it's, urban horticulture is going to be everywhere in Cuba and – Look, I just could not find it in Havana uh, or the um, coastal town that I went to, um, Baradero. Um, so if you're going to Cuba, make sure you do your Googling beforehand because <laughs> the internet connection in Cuba is quite bad and we weren't staying in large hotels and that's the only place you're going to get your internet. Mm. And so we were told, advised by friends, don't bother taking your laptop, don't bother, you know, the internet is just so appalling over there, don't even bother. We only had one phone with us. We, were just, we didn't have any connectivity. So... We couldn't then go and research what was going on. And I asked person after person who spoke some English in all sorts of different walks of life, even people who were selling vegetables on the street. And every time I asked them, I mean, it seems like a ridiculous story because I just expected urban horticulture to be everywhere there. And I kept asking them, well, where do these vegetables come from? And they'd look at me like I was quite mad and, <laughs> and say, you know, a farm. And I'd say, yes, but is the, where is the farm? Is it, is it here, you know, somewhere in Havana? And they just looked at me like I was insane and said, no, in the country, you know, like I was a simpleton. <laughs> so, so I eventually just gave in and thought, okay, I'm going to just experience Cuba through cars, cocktails and beaches. <laughs> no cigars then. So, no, no, no cigars. And I didn't have that fancy there. But, yeah, it, it, look, um, I'm, I'm not in my older age uh, quite the um, enjoyer of alcohol that I was in my youth. And, um, but I have to say, after a week in Cuba, I was looking for my pina colada at morning tea time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dangerous country. <laughs> so there wasn't quite as much gardening going on there. I did manage to buy some nice veggies and do some home cooking myself in the little places we stayed in. But, yeah, we ha- yeah anyway, won't say anymore. Had a good time. Had a good time. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, I've asked uh, Virginia to come into the studio quickly because, Virginia, you've got uh, some open gardens coming up. Yes, my garden is open again, and I thought I would announce it next time I'm on air, but then I realised the garden is open the weekend before I'm on air, Okay, so I better just mention it today. So it's for the Upper Yarra Valley Garden Club. The first weekend of October, they always open a, a four or five gardens. This year they're opening five gardens... So it's $20 for all five. And mine is the first garden, if you're coming from the city. It stretches from Warburton, from Seville to Warburton. And you can join the program at any particular garden and 
pay up there. And it's always fantastic because this is a really big garden club. They have meetings with sort of 40 and 50 people in them and there are some wonderful gardens in this garden club. Wow. So do come. It, it's a really good weekend. You can, And, of course, for those who are trying to escape the grand final, come on the Saturday. <laughs> Because that sounds like a great idea, Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> well, quite a lot of gardeners do want to escape the grand final. My friend Fiona suggested that I put the television on and turn it round so that if people need to get a catch up, they can do it. But um, so fixed. it's the grand final weekend, and it's as I said, I'm the first garden in Seville, and it stretches right through to Warburton. So please come, 3CR. And what made me think of it was I just had a call on the outside line and, and the woman who rang in said, oh, I've been to your garden. I thought, oh, of course, I'm open. So my garden is 50 Linwood Road, L-I-N Wood, Linwood Road, Seville, and it is on the Melways. So you, can, it's, you just come to Seville, turn left at the bottom of the hill at the roundabout along the Mombolk Seville Road, and then I'm on the left. So it's on the Melways, it's easy to find, and from there we will give you a map that takes you to all the, all the rest of them if that's the way you're coming. And you say it's $20 for the whole five gardens? For all of them, yes. Wow, that, that's a bargain. It that is, really is, it is. And it's good because all the gardeners from the group turn up. So in every garden there'll be a number of people there that are, you know, know the garden and, can, and are there to chat and talk about Share the plants. Share the information. Yeah. And, yes. yeah, it's, a, it's a fantastic garden club. Fantastic. Yes, so it's quite exciting. Okay. So I hope I see some of you there. Yes, excellent. Okay. Oh, we're going to go to our next caller. Yes, we're going to go to Susan, who's been waiting patiently. Good morning, Susan. Oh, good morning. <laughs> um, I'm a little embarrassed about this one. Um, normally I actually prune my roses um, at the um, beginning of August, post-frost, but because of the cold, the wet and time constraints... I haven't done it at all. And, of course, it's all lovely, healthy green leaves at the moment. And I'm just wondering what, if anything, do I do now? Well, you can prune them if you want to now. Okay. That's okay to do that. Okay. And where, if I don't? Where do you live? <laughs> Mount Evelyn. Mount Evelyn. Mount Evelyn. Oh, you got, you're in a bit of a cold country there. Um, yes. You, you could take an, take an each-way bet and go over half the bush and take take the tips off. Right. And that means that you'll have a, a really um, wider span of flowering, the first flush. Okay? Okay. Okay. So if, if you, if you um, feel like experimenting, you could do that. Or alternatively, you, you could leave them. But I don't know that you will get a lot of flowers. So you're saying half the bush or yes. all of the bush? Half well, you, the bush. You could try, try half the bush. Okay. Okay? Yes. And just take the tips off. Okay. All right, okay. I will do that. Just that new growth. Yeah, yes, new just growth. the new growth. As yes. Graham is demonstrating for us in I've the studio. I've got a rose here in the studio and I'm taking the He's tips out. He's plucking all the tips out <laughs> <laughs> with his fingers. And what happens okay. actually, if you look at those tips, you'll find that there are actually blind shoots on most of them. Um, and a blind shoot is just a very plain leaf that comes out with no little bud starting to develop. Okay. Okay. And it's mm-hmm. the rose, rose really saying, this is what I want to do because it's been fairly cold. And, of course, yes. this cold winter, things have happened that way. Yes. Okay? Yep. All right, and but they're the ones I remove. Yes. yes. Nothing is lost and they won't die. It's all fine. Okay. All right? All right. Thank you. 
right. Well, if you've got some goats, you can let them in and let them do, <laughs> do some. Do they some do fine it naturally. <laughs> probably, probably should have done that. Had a pony that used to do it. Oh, right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they know with the with the growth are nice and sweet, and, the, and those tips on the end of the plant are full of vitamins. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Okay, right. good luck with that, Susan. Thank you so Thank you. much. Bye. Bye. Now, Karen, you've brought in some product there, and, and I can see one that um, let's have a chat about because it's 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 a great one to talk about. I'll do a little sh- uh, maraca shake. It's yes. A, um, trying to get people to guess what the sound is. <laughs> this is the sound of carob seeds in a carob oh, pod. lovely. So I finally got carob from my tree this year. And but I did want to mention it in conjunction with Crete because they're um, native to Crete, right? And I saw them planted um, as street trees, and um, this uh, it's an interesting thought because I'm always uh, suggesting that we have more edible plants in the city, as, as a lot of other people here, I'm sure, would agree. That's a great idea, and there's always a lot of opposition, or there's often opposition with the thought that mushy fruit could be on footpaths and cause yes, issues. Yes, people but, will slip. Yeah, carob, carob. Why not have carob trees as street trees? Very, very drought tolerant, evergreen, uh, can be pruned into a tree shape. Um, so just a little push for planting carobs as street trees. But um, if you want to grow carobs. The key is because they um, um, they need a male and a female to produce fruit. So the key is to then buy, a, if you only have room for one tree, a hermaphrodite variety. So now I don't know a whole list of the varieties. There's a variety called Clifford that is one that is readily sold. Um, but I've been told by a um, by a man from Crete, actually a gardener from Crete, that uh, in a, who lives in Australia, that oh no, that's not much of a variety. There's better ones than that. But I just don't know the names of them offhand. But I'm right. sure a good nursery like Bulleen Nursery or or, or Ceres could help you with that. Yes. Um, so I planted mine years ago when I didn't know that you needed a male and a female. And um, they say if you've got the space that you can plant, just just plant five seeds and one of them is bound to be, you know, you're bound to get a male and a female amongst that. But uh, there's not always room for that in the city because they can get quite big. So I found after a few years that I had a female. So I looked at the flowers and um, established that they were female. So then I knew that I could keep my tree and what I had to do was I'd been checking out for years where I'd seen other carobs and so I went and found where there was some um, – Luckily, I know where there are two trees that are male on nature strips, not far from me. So um, grabbed some branches and did the old paintbrush pollination, just like the zucchinis. And so managed to get some carob pods. But the nice thing was that I stuck the flowers after I got sick of paintbrush pollinating, stuck stuck the branches into a bucket of water at the base of my tree. And I know for I know for certain that I didn't get right up inside the canopy, and there were carob pods in there. So the bees, my bees, came along and they did the job. Yeah, you wouldn't think they'd go into the dark places inside the tree, really yes. dark spots. Okay, but they did. Right, and they were really keen. They were amazing. So, yeah, they were quite. They, and funnily enough, I brought my parents a tree at the same time, but sadly enough, they're. Um, Northeast of Shepparton, a half an hour out of Shepparton. The bees aren't uh, going no. to get yeah, there. They've got a male tree and I've got a female, so it's, it's a bit of a hike. So, yeah, so if you do want to grow carob, I suggest you buy a hermaphrodite, but otherwise you have to do a bit of, a know, bit of facilitating it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What do the trees look like? Um, they have a beautiful kind of a bluey grey, you know, a bit reminiscent of Fajoa, but really shiny leaves. They're, they're in the legume family, so they have that pinnate. Mm-hmm. Um, development of the of the leaves, yeah. so quite you know quite divided up. Um, so to me, they've got a bluey grey look to their foliage, and they also have a really deep burgundy in the stem, in the in the stems and the um, the leaf. Peti- I think that's the petioles. I've forgotten all my botany at this stage. Uh, it's too long too long ago. Um, so they're really attractive trees, I think. 
they they can get huge uh, and can last for hundreds hundreds and hundreds of years, but we're probably not going to be around at that stage. So you know, <laughs> somebody else's problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I figure. <laughs> when my tree surgeon friend said to me, "What are you doing planting a carob? You're insane." But look, I've, they they seem to be very slow growing in my experience. Well, they get flushes of growth, but the trunks don't seem to expand at a, at a okay. huge rate. And the ones I've seen that I know in the area, there's one at a local school. There's one along the Brunswick bike path along the uh, railway line there. And there's two on nature strips, as I said. They're the only ones I know of. Mm. Uh, oh, I should say, no, There's his, this ties in with something else I was going to mention. There's one on the nature strip of my friend Paul McKay. And, and I said to him, well, you know, is this a hermaphrodite? Did you buy it grafted? And he's a bit oblivious to how he bought it. But he, he has pods. I said, well, it must be hermaphrodite. Yes. Otherwise, there's a, you know, by chance you've got a male carob nearby because mm. he does have bees. And he has his garden open in the um, Alternative Technology Association, Association's uh, Sustainable House day so i'm heading off there after this to do a bit of voluntary garden touring and he has bees and he has all sorts of um things like pellet heaters and he's making his own pellets out of sawdust out of wood chips into sawdust into pellets to heat his house hydroponically oh sorry um um, sorry, I've gone mad. I've thought about a, a, a horticultural Hydronically, thank you. <laughs> Too horticultural there. So, yeah, that's something. That's another activity that's on this weekend if people are interested in looking at sustainable houses and gardens. So, yeah, he has a carob tree, I didn't realise till recently, on his mm. nature strips. So they're not, not a bad tree to grow. Very, very drought tolerant. For that reason, Diggers has been selling them for years, but they only sell the seedlings, and so, as far as I know. Yes. And so, you know, that's... Not really the way to go. I'd be buying a hermaphrodite. But, yeah, why not if you're thinking about doing some nature strip planting in your street and a lot of um, people, you know, like-minded gardeners in communities and forming little communities in their streets these days. And so if they are, it, there's, you could do worse than putting in some carob trees mm. as mm. nature strip trees. And are you going to grind those up and use them? I, I, I've just been kind of chewing on them, so I'll just keep them in the car as a snack, and I'm quite happy to distribute the whole some. Pot? Car- yeah, the, so you don't eat the seed; you kind of just chew oh, along, okay. and um, it's like a chocolatey kind of bark experience. <laughs> it's a bit of a you know you have to channel channel your inner hippie when you when you eat them. Um, but you can also um, I haven't looked it up yet, but they're usually roasted and ground when you when you look at the packet. So yes. I was just going to I mean they only just started um, ripening just before I left to go overseas, and I took some with me to eat, and it was quite funny because then I got to Crete and I was like, oh, well, here's all these. Ca- <laughs> there was, they sold carob pasta. You know, they sold okay. carob, everything, carob flour, every, carob soap, yep. everything you can think of. So it's yep. quite amusing. I thought, I don't know why I've brought my carobs here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like people anyway. from overseas bringing wattle seed in here. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. But if you, yeah. I, I do know that if you... Um, They're very tasty. If you go into your... Just put carob into your search engine. You you will actually find the full um, details yeah, so of, it of how to roast yeah, them and then yeah. grind it and and yeah, use make your own carob yes. And carob syrup too is something I've bought yes. in the past. I thought about making some of that because it makes a delicious drink. And you, then you've got more of an instant, um, you know, warm drink. So yes. they actually use the whole pod. Yeah, the not, the seeds. Not, yeah, not the seeds. Not the seeds, yeah. but the pot yeah. itself. Yeah, yeah. Have a chomp later. It's oh, really, really yeah. tasty. Absolutely. <laughs> you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, so you've got a few moments to jump on the phones and give us a call if you'd like to ask a gardening question. The number is 94190155, or you can speak to Virginia on the outside line on 94198377. We have Karen Sutherland in the studio. Studio, also Graham Sargent and also AB Bishop. So we can talk all things roses, edibles and natives this morning. So and, do give us a call. And right now we've got Elizabeth from Preston on the line. Good morning, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, are you there? 
Are you there, Elizabeth? Yeah. Oh, good morning. Can you hear me? We yes. can. Oh, good. Um, hello, everyone. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm just wanting to know, um, I got some good advice from everyone a few weeks ago, re, re- my Albertine. I know it's not the favoured uh, rose bush, but anyway, it's a special one for me. Um, uh, and I did what everyone um, was told and cut the thing right back to or the stump, or not quite the stump. Um, it shot away, which is really great. But um, I now realise the way it is, it's going to push against the fence. So can I recut that um, below where it shot away? Yes, you can. Uh, okay. And yeah. it'll, it'll, it'll shoot away fairly quickly after Yeah, well, you know, Albertine grows like the clappers. Yeah. Grow well, about two metres in a year. Yeah, well, it, 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 it was good, but I don't know what happened. I, I think I had too much... Um, of a creeper on the other side overshadowing it may have um, mm. I, um, overshadowed it which made it die out I'm not sure but anyway so well, if you, if okay, you can trim, I'll do that then Thank if you, you can trim, trim back to an, an outward facing bud right right you yeah. know as you come to where the leaf is and you'll see where the bud is yes. where the where the direction in which that bud faces is where it's going to grow okay then okay so you know you do your little bit of training and, and train it out to where you want want it to be okay well well then I may not need to cut Stump back further then. No, no, you, no, you, you won't need to. And the good thing about doing that now is that if you do trim them off, mm. uh, they're not so subject to a break off in the wind. Oh right, it'll, okay. it'll make it more stocky. Right. Should I just have one leader? Oh yes, you could do that. Or, yes. or do you recommend a couple? Oh, I mean, I'm not sure. No, I'd, I'd work on a couple. Couple. All yeah, because right. we want to get some flowers for you. We don't want you to be disappointed in Albertine. Oh, no, oh, oh, this has been a fabulous bush. It's yes. just that uh, for some reason it started to die down. Yes. And I thought, oh, and it was a special one I planted for my uncle. My, my wife loves Albertine, but I tell her it's going to take over the whole house. Well, <laughs> I, I not understand that. I did buy something to replace it if it did die, but um, yes. I'm sort of a bit resident now. No, that it's it, a gorgeous rose, gorgeous colour and fantastic perfume. Yes, yes, yes. And if you keep at it, you can keep it in check. Yes. Yes, exactly. Good. Mm. Well, thank you very much. I thank appreciate you. it. Okay, bye. Graham, you've brought in a rose. We haven't had a chance to talk about it yet. Um, yes, um, Pam, this is the um, blue or beyond blue rose. And, um, of course, some of the money from this in the royalty go towards beyond br- blue. And it's what I'd call a light blue rose. Would make a really good hedge if someone wanted to grow a hedge. And it's got the unique characteristic in so much as the, the light sky blue colour. It's le- lighter than sky blue. It's got yellow stamens, which really make it um, stand out as, as a f- real feature. Okay. So that's the Beyond Blue Rose. Who's it been bred by, Graham? Oh, Pam, you don't know. asking me, me now. <laughs> um, it's, it's produced by um, Lansdale Roses in Western Australia or, or marketed by them. Right. So it probably would be one of the English roses. Yes. Probably um, the um, maybe the Warners. Yes, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, and it's a good, strong, vigorous bush and a unique colour. Right. Yes. Uh, repeat flowering? Yes, repeats for sure. Yes. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So that would be gorgeous as a hedge. Yes, it would be really outstanding. It would be real that blue colour that you love to see in a garden mm. that's so good with, with the Australian background of 
brown and green. Mm. Have you seen the flowers, Graham? Yes. Ah, because the, those on the picture aren't really that blue, are they? No. no. But uh, but compared to the, what's on the picture here, um, as labels do fade, now that they're getting them printed other places in Australia, uh, but it is a deeper it is a deeper blue than this is actually on. On I call it a mid blue. Okay. Mm. Okay. And perfume. Yes. Wonderful. Just a just a light just perfume. A, yes. 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 Fantastic. All right. Well, we should go to Anne and Eden Park. Good morning, Anne. Oh, good morning. Um, thank you for your show. I'm just bringing with a query. I a few years ago scattered a few nasturtium seeds around, so I have masses of nasturtiums growing and. My soil out here is naturally awful um, and I've um, been a bit wondering or worrying whether the nasturtiums, which look gay and they're cheerful sort of flowers, but whether they're taking a lot out of the soil. Oh, well, that's, that's an interesting question. I wouldn't imagine they'd be taking that much because nasturtiums, um, they will grow in quite depleted soil as well and, in fact, they flower very readily in, in yes. depleted soil yes. and they can become quite weedy. So I would say no. What do you think, Karen? Yeah, because they've got very shallow roots. They do, yeah. Very yeah. shallow roots, mm. yes. So they couldn't possibly be taking that much out. No. Okay. I don't think that's a problem at I all, Anne. I think so. I just thought that maybe because they do so well and they're so hardy and they seem to have very... Um, Oh, almost wide stems, yeah. And I thought maybe they're sucking all my moisture or something. <laughs> no, 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 not really. They no. can have thick oh, vegetation well, that might stop rain getting in a bit to the soil. That can happen, but just take a few out. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I'll just put them in the compost. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Anne. Thank you. And we should go to Jill now from the Herb Society. Good morning, Jill. Good morning. Can I tell about the Herb Society's event on the 26th of September? Sure. Time to book in. We're having Sue Evans talk about herbs of the first fleet and the early colony of New South Wales. So it'll be a balance between British plants that were brought in and native plants that were used. So things like Warrigal Green. And if people would like to book in... I'll give my mobile number mm-hmm. 0478 652 223. Right. And that's the 26th of September, Saturday, and it's at Burnley Horticultural College, room, the main building, room 10, and people book in and then they pay on the day. And there'll be Australian herbs, food herbs, and on display. And the plants that were brought in, or examples of plants that were brought in by the British. And Sue Evans is talking from two o'clock, but people can come at one thirty. Mm-hmm. We'll have plants for sale, books for sale, and then an afternoon tea. Excellent. What's the cost, uh, Jim? Um, it's fifteen dollars. Right. Yes. Okay. So, so people just need to book by phoning you, but they can pay on the day. That's right. Yes. Excellent. Thanks very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye for now, Jill. Great. And now we will go to Elf in Parkdale. Good morning, Elf. Good morning. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. And yourself? Good. How can we help you? Uh, I've got I've got an old plum tree, which I thought had died. I've got a completely... 
chop it down, but it seems to have revived itself. And what can I do to help it along? Liquid seaweed. Can't go <laughs> past it. We're sponsored Sorry. by liquid seaweed. You can get liquid seaweed in most nurseries. And um, what are yeah, they sea salt, is it? it well, That's yes. one brand. There's, There's several brands. Yeah. But, but they're all liquid sea salt. Oh, uh, liquid seaweed. seaweed. Show the, how to dilute it. Yes. yes so all, all the instructions are on the back of the pack. I think it's something like 10 mil to, mm. you know, watering can. Okay, that's all I can do. Well, yes, and if you want to revive something or get something going, use it once a fortnight and yeah. use the organic um, liquid seaweed because it doesn't have a lot of nitrogen in it, which gives you soft growth, and that's, of course, is what the insects love. Okay, I'll try that. Thank you. And I okay. would also try the molasses. Yeah, I was just yeah. thinking that. For the tree roots, yeah. Yeah, well, you yeah. would. I'll just yeah. a quick question. What's the best way to get rid of onion weed? <laughs> Just a quick question. <laughs> a long answer. Um, yes, but you're never going to get rid of it that way totally, um, because because as you pull it, a lot of the little bulblets will drop off and remain. Yeah. And um, I mean, it's an absolute nightmare. Uh, you can. A lot of people have had you know some success by actually smothering it. Um, putting down loads and loads of newspaper or old carpet or something and trying to smother it out. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a, it's a, you know, digging it out by hand every year, but it will come back. It's very hard to control. Have you got if sandy we have soil? Of rain, it's easy to pull out. Sorry. If if we get plenty of rain, hmm. it's easy to pull out, but we haven't had much. Yeah, hmm. the only problem is you think you've pulled it out, but you'll find you've left bulblets behind. They okay. they drop off as you pull it out, and so hmm. it's not going to. It's not going to completely eradicate it. You're going to find it coming up. Um, but if you if you pull it out each year, you will gradually um, gradually weaken mm. um, the whole you know um, planting of it. Um, and certainly don't let it go to seed. So so get it before the flowers okay. come. Onion onion weed loves compacted soil. Oh. Okay, mm. it's just loves compacted soil. So you'll find it. You know, in farms where it'll grow, where tractors go up and back, up and back, and the soil's packed down. And, of course, compacted soil happens with with some of the clay soils. So I would suggest that if you've got um, clay soil, I use some gypsum to loosen up the soil and make it so that it doesn't like those conditions. But okay. it still doesn't mean that you shouldn't pull it out. Mm, yeah. Okay. I started to pull it out, but it's a bit hard work. Yeah. Oh yes, I know. <laughs> Ongoing hard work. Well, um, you you may laugh at me, but um, for a fact, last week, according to the moon phases, last week was a great week for pulling weeds out. Now, if, if the if the moon can influence our tides, it's a pretty f- prow- powerful sort of a natural critter. Now, to find out when the moon phases are in your favour, mm. you'll need to have a look at the. Um, home and Garden magazine, and they have a chart in that every month. Okay. Okay. But when you buy the Home and Garden, make sure it's for the month that you're looking at because they put it out a month earlier. Oh, I see. Okay. So okay. if you want to go into the news agent and just have a look at the magazine to see the phases, but it actually does work. We were pulling weeds out in our nursery last week that normally would break off at the base. Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. All right. Good luck with that one, Alf. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
Yeah, the theory behind that whole moon planting, which I actually follow, that's, you know, as you probably know, Graham, all to do with the waxing and the waning of the moon mm-hmm. and um, mm. how much pull the earth is putting on the roots. Yes. So when the earth is, when there's less pull on the roots, that is time to be weeding. Yes. So, mm. yeah, I, I actually follow that and um, find it uh, funny to be, yeah, very useful. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Karen, you're running, before we go to our next caller, you're running some classes coming up. Now, you do this every year, I know. You have workshops on various topics. Yes, I almost forgot to mention that. I thought, ooh, time's running out. I've I've got a couple of classes coming up for spring. So next Sunday, the 20th of September, held at my home garden in Pasco Vale South, and you can find the details on my website, um, uh, edibleedendesign.com. So the first one from 10 till midday is Veggie Gardening for Beginners. And the second one from one thirty till 3.30 is propagation from seed. So other times I've mixed up cuttings and seed and it just seems that it, there's too much information for new gardeners. And there's so many new gardeners in the world, which is good. Mm. To, which is wonderful. Good to, yes. They're good to meet. Yes. But you realise that, oh, okay, we need to go into this in a bit more detail. So just two hours, $40 if you pay um, in advance, 45 if you pay on the day, and you get some um, snacks made from um, products from my garden. Get a maybe, carapod to Yeah, chew. maybe a carapod yeah. to chew. <laughs> yep. uh, and some seeds saved from my garden as well, so some um, usually heritage Seeds I've saved for a long time. Fantastic. So. Are you limited with numbers there, Karen? Uh, yes, so you just have to book. book on, just book online. So okay. they're, sm- they're small classes, so you get, and you get notes, of course, as well. So you get the chance to walk around the garden and see the things I'm talking about in situ. So, so that's all happening next Sunday. Next Sunday. They're two-hour yeah. classes, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. First one, 10 till midday. Veggie Gardens for Beginners and the second one in the afternoon, one thirty till 3.30, Propagation by Seed and go to edibleedendesign.com. Thanks, Pam. Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, let's go to Joan in Parkdale. Good morning, Joan. Joan, are you there? Hello, Joan. It's another Rose question if she's there. <laughs> we might just put Joan you, back Graham. on hold and see if we can get her back. Okay. Um, as I mentioned, we are running through until 9.15, so you do have a quick chance uh, if you want to jump online and ask a gardening question. Karen, you've brought in some other uh, plants there. What have you got there? I've got the last bit of a finger lime, which we partly ate last night. So this is the red centre lime, one that's fairly new for me to grow the last couple of years. And so they're not at their full size yet, but it's interesting to see that even though they were ripening as I left I mean, I've been back about a month, so they were ripening about three months ago and they're, they're still hanging on, So, whereas the other ones seem to fall quite quickly. So I don't know whether that's – I mean, that could just be the way it happened this year. Mm. So red centres are really lovely, um, very dark red fruit with a kind of a pale orangey inside. So the wonderful finger limes that are native small lime trees that can grow in semi-shade, quite thorny, so – um, good to bear in mind. And, yeah, so they don't mind growing in shade, which, of course, is a really useful thing for urban gardens. Yes, so, it's wonderful. Um, and then I brought all sorts of spring things in. Actually, there's a there's one nice thing that could be really good to have in your garden because gardens can be so dull this time of year. So it's fruity sage or salvia derisiana, and it has hot pink flowers mm. that the wattle birds really enjoy drinking um, from the flowers. So they're quite large, as you can imagine. Uh, the flowers are edible, so you can um, put them in gardens with child- where there's children so they can enjoy just picking the flowers and eating them. And the leaves are quite soft and velvety and very, very strongly scented. So that's that garden aromatherapy thing where you can go out in your garden and 
and mm, um, I can smell it from crushed yeah, the leaves. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a beautiful smell. And you can chop them up and put them in drinks. So I really like uh, having this plant in my garden just for winter. So it's it's such a big plant. It gets to about two metres um, high, even by chopping down almost to ground level after they finish flowering, right. just to make room in the rest of the garden. I yes. do that. You don't have to do that. That's just how I manage that space. I think salvias so, do do better with a good chop back. Yeah, they don't seem to care. Yes. So I don't know whether you're really meant to chop it down in spring, <laughs> but it seems to survive that way. And it just means that I focus on the flowers in winter. Mm. So it doesn't take up space other times of the year. So that's a nice plant for people putting gardens in for school at schools too. It's a nice plant to put in. Just give the name of it again, Karen. Uh, so Salvia Dorisiana, D-O-R-I-S-I-A-N-A, or fruity sage, or it also gets called fruit salad sage. Okay. So nice garden, nice plant for um, gardens for children. And I've got some um, one other nice thing that's a nice edible flower is just the good old humble English violet, which can be quite a weedy plant, so I do need to control it. Again, I do a um, post-winter control where I vigorously remove most of the violet plants in the garden that have sort of spread around through the year. But this time of year, it's very good for the lymph system. So it's good to make a tea from the flowers, put maybe um, half a dozen flowers into a a small cup, add some boiling water and a little bit of honey, and you get this amazing blue-coloured, actually a bit like the rose colour. Yeah, there Um, you go. (laughs) um, You get a really amazing blue-coloured tea, and you can drink a couple of cups of that each day in winter when the roses are out, and it's Mm -hmm. that that lovely thing that plants sometimes grow at the time of year when you need them. And so your lymph system can be a bit sluggish in winter when it's cold and not not getting good circulation. And so um, that can be a good thing to help keep yourself a bit of winter health. Excellent. Okay. Fantastic. Let's go to Linda in Melton. Good morning, Linda. Oh, good morning. How can we help? Um, Well, I just wanted to call, um, there was a uh, caller talking about onion weed. Now, I just, I've got a book called um, Weed Forager's Handbook, so I'm not sure if, if it's the same onion weed that I'm that I've got here in the book. Because another, um, what, like this plant has, you know, long green leaves with white flowers. Yes, it's the same one. Yes, probably. Sounds like um, it. Because it's actually an edible plant. Yes, all members of the Allium family are edible. So onion weed is too, but I wouldn't say it was the most wonderful. <laughs> I think you could you could find something a little little more exciting to chomp on than the onion weed. All oh, right, because I was going to say, you know, if um, if he's having tr- so much trouble with it, if he looks at it as food, then it's like a plant that he didn't even have to work for. Yes, the the only problem is that it spreads so voraciously that it's still going to take over your garden so I don't think you can eat enough of it to actually solve the problem. I certainly wouldn't recommend anyone planting it in their garden thinking they've (laughs) got a great edible edible um, plant. Okay Okay. and also with um, the carob, um, carob syrup is medicinal too so if you're not feeling well it's um, good to have. Excellent. Good to know. know. Yep now did you want to um, uh, that okay yeah so so you do you know in what way it's medicinal? Mm. Um, well, I know that, like, if I've got a cold, I'm not feeling well, I'll have some carob syrup. Right. Warm it up, put a, put a bit of water with it. Yep. And, um, well, it, it's just, you know, it's just a Mediterranean thing. You have 
carob syrup. Okay. It could be the mineral content. I know it's very high in calcium mm. because okay. I know that sometimes when you're feeling a bit anxious, it's sometimes that you're apparently a bit calcium. I mean, there's reason, lots of reasons to be anxious, but, um, you know, sometimes when you're craving a bit of chocolate, it's apparently, from what I've read anyway, it's more of a calcium deficiency. Okay. And so there's calcium in chocolate, but a slightly healthier way of getting it is carob. So, yep. you know, if you do feel like, oh, I really need some chocolate, it's good to have some carob and it sort of calms your nerve. Calcium is yeah. a bit calming. Mm, in your diet, and so maybe maybe it's maybe it's just also the high mineral content generally. Yeah, yep. mm. and chocolate has magnesium, maybe. Carabin. Oh, maybe that as yeah. well. Yeah, yep. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, okay. thanks All for right. that. No worries. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Uh, very quickly, we were asked. Um, we were asked uh, about the dilution rate of molasses. Um, I think we said Graham one to twenty, one to no, fifty. Fifty to one. Fifty mm. to one. Yes. Okay. Um, Joan in Parkdale. I'm afraid we've run out of time. We can't take your call now. Um, do give us a call next week, though, uh, because we'll be back again 7.30 next week. A big thank you to all the panel, particularly to uh, Jenny and Virginia, who've been handling all the calls. Don't forget, if you want to uh, take part in um, any of Karen's classes that she's running next Sunday, jump online, go to edibleedendesign.com. And, of course, we'll be back next week. Until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.